with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week we began looking through this letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. We talked about how the church in Corinth had much in common with many of our churches today. And that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing being <clears throat> that we're here to glorify God. That our worship is not about us. Our worship is about Him. That our salvation is not about us. Our salvation is about Him. And as we pick up with verse 18, and although we're beginning a new section at 18, in order to break up the text uh, manageable portions, we should not assume that there's any break in Paul's argument. Uh, this is made plain by the, the, the contrast that is drawn between what he calls the wisdom of the word in verse 17 and the word of the cross in verse 18. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The cross is the polar opposite of human wisdom. It's sometimes hard for us to realize just how offensive this teaching was uh, in, in a first century culture. Such a shameful and barbaric form of execution was reserved for those who were the lowest of the criminals. And for someone to come along and say, that one that hung on a cross is our king. That one that hung on a cross is our savior. It was total foolishness to those of the first century who would hear this. Uh, any association with a victim of cruci crucifixion was socially unacceptable. And to suggest that someone could be a divine person who was crucified to them was totally absurd. And to attempt to found a new religion uh, based on this, such a belief, was utter foolishness to them. And nothing has changed today. But Paul's point is that such an attitude simply reveals the spiritual state of those who adopt it. They are perishing, he says in verse 18. For the word of the cross or the preaching of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Those who are perishing are blatantly rejecting the only means of salvation available. There is no other way. You go by the way of the cross or you don't go at all. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Later on in this same letter, we're going to hear Paul say to the Corinthians, he says, I desired not to know anything among you except Christ crucified. Jesus crucified. So on the one side, there is the rejection of the message. 
as foolishness and weakness. While on the other hand, that same message, when understood, when believed and received, is proved to be the wisdom and the power of God. And it's clear that the gospel that Paul was sent to preach that he talks about in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And so it's clear that, that the gospel Paul was sent to preach was the message of the cross. And everything that had happened in Corinth had resulted from that message. Everything that happens in this chapel is a result of that message. The message of the gospel. And Paul said that's what he's called to do and that's what he came to present. Look at verse... Uh, 19 through 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now notice again what he says there in verse 21. He says, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. But God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. To describe human wisdom apart from divine revelation, Paul uses the synonymous terms, the debater of this age and the wisdom of the world. And Paul's use of the word age implies that the material world was but a passing show and its wisdom will go away with it. Paul here is trying to show that we cannot take human wisdom and mix it with the gospel and think that we've got something. Or we cannot say... Well, look, I know that the gospel says that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him take a, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But that message is too hard. That message is too hard. You're not going to win anybody with that message. Not true, by the way. You will win people with that message. I was one with that message. If you're saved, you were one with that message. But, but Paul is warning them against taking human wisdom and, 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 and making it compatible with what God has to say. Uh, the two words that Paul uses, the, the words of wisdom and the word of the cross, these leads to two different worlds, two uh, totally opposite views of reality. One will lead you down the broad path to destruction. The other leads you down the narrow path to eternal life. Through the narrow gate. The quotation there in verse 19 when he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. The, this quotation uh, has its context in the book of Isaiah where it's a pronouncement of God's judgment on the hypocrisy of the nation of Israel. Although they honored God with their lips, it was empty words, and their worship did not come from the heart. How serious we need to get 
to make sure that our worship is not just saying that we honor God with our lips, but that we honor Him with our life. That what comes out of my lips, uh, through my lips, comes from my heart. And I, we worship God in this way. Today, in many churches, we have confused worship with entertainment. I'm going to have to agree with something that uh, Dr. John MacArthur said. I don't care what unbelievers want in a worship service. I don't care what unbelievers want in a church service. What we need to care about is, God, what do you want? What do you say? And he says, I want you to preach the message of the cross. The Corinthians were committed to this world and to its wisdom, and they were falling into this trap. And that's why it says there in verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The folly of human wisdom is that it thinks it can come to a right judgment of God on its own. Man, in his arrogant pride, thinks he knows better than God. Do we not see that today in our world? Do we not see that in our churches today? How many... I, I, I was reminded... I was studying for this message this week and I came across a video of this guy and I don't know who he was. I wish I'd have saved it, but I didn't. And he was talking about a message for preachers. And he sat there in front of the camera and he said, my brothers, listen to me. Stop telling people they're going to hell if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. You're not going to win anybody that way. Stop telling people that it's hard to be a Christian, that suffering comes with being a Christian. You're not going to win anybody that way. That was about all I watched before I mentally wrote heresy across his video. But this is where we are. We think man's wisdom says, look, our goal is to get as many people in church as we can. That's not our goal. It's not my goal. My goal is to bring as many people to Christ as I can. That's what we're called to do. But God's wisdom has seen to it that human beings can never find their own way to Him. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none who seeks after God. There is none that is good. And had God not revealed Himself to us, we would not know who God is. And this is evident. This is evident when we look at our world today and in many churches today. God has been presented as who you want Him to be. He's a God that's all love and accepts everyone just the way they are. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But it draws people in. And isn't that the, the, the goal? No, it's not the goal. It should not be the goal. Worldly wisdom will never be able to explain this world 
uh, will never be able to explain this world, let alone the nature of God and the world to come. We would not know God had it not been for the self-revelation. And that is precisely what Paul's pointing at in verse 21 when he says God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Notice how the whole focus changes from knowing to believing and from wisdom to salvation. Faith in the God who became man in the person of Jesus Christ and who voluntarily gave himself up on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That has always been God's plan to rescue lost humanity. Listen, folks, the cross of Jesus Christ was not plan B. There was no plan B. There wasn't even a plan A. There was just plan. And the plan was Jesus would come. He would be born in a filthy stable. He would grow, become a man. He would have an earthly ministry. But ultimately it would end with him hanging on a cross, dying for the sin of the world. That's always been the plan from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world. If you go to the book of Revelation, you will find John as he stands there and he looks at the throne and he says, I saw a lamb as it had been slain before the foundation of the world. And I said, that's where it ended. That's not where it ended. It ended three days later when Jesus walked out of a grave. You know, it's interesting that throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus would be talking to his disciples. And time after time after time, he would tell them, we're going to Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they would hear that every time except for the last part. Peter... I want to tell you, the Apostle Peter is a great representation for all of us. Because here's what Peter did. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're the prophet who's to come. And Jesus said, well, tell me, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said... The same thing Paul says here. Peter, human wisdom didn't tell you that. My father told you that. Now here's Peter standing at the mountaintop. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns right around and says, we're going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be crucified. And Peter pulls him off to the side and says, Lord, quit saying that. We're not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. How do you think that made Peter feel? I mean, one minute, Jesus is saying, Peter, that's wonderful. My father has revealed to you who I really am. And the next minute, Jesus is calling him Satan. But you see, it shows the fickleness of man. And, and this is where Paul is talking about here when we depend. You see, from Peter's viewpoint, he was looking at it from the wisdom of man. No, Lord, 
This is not going to happen to you. You're the king of Israel. You're going to come in. You're going to overthrow the Roman government. And, and everything is going to be perfect. You're going to bring in your kingdom. That's what you're going to do. Jesus said, no, Peter, that's not what I'm going to do. Not right now. And so the wisdom of man, we have to be careful here uh, and understand that it may appear foolish to human man-centered wisdom. But because it's God's wisdom, the gospel of Christ crucified is the only power to save those who would believe. And Paul invites them to see the greatest demonstration of God's power in their own salvation resulting in a changed life. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you know that there's power in the gospel? Do you know that there's saving power in the gospel in the message of the cross? How do you know that? I can tell you how I know it. I'm saved. I'm changed. That's how I know it. I'm not the man I used to be. You know, that, what's that old saying that says, you know, I'm not the man I want to be. I'm not the man I'm going to be. But thank God I'm not the man I used to be. And that's where we are. Paul's telling them, he's saying, look at your own lives. Did that come from human wisdom? No, it came from the power of the message of the cross. The message of the gospel. There is no greater evidence of a person's Salvation than to see them turn from death to life. To turn from worshiping self to worshiping God. A changed life. And Paul is pointing them to this. God's power in the gospel of the cross is the only explanation for such transformation. Nothing else could have produced a church in Corinth in the first place. Because keep in mind, folks. Okay. Let, let's get technical here. This is a building. We are the church. There are churches all across the world that don't meet in a building nearly this nice. Today, there are some that are worshiping in some place that doesn't even have air conditioning. I wonder how many of us would be here this morning if I'd called and said, hey, our air conditioning's out. How important is it to us to be here? And Paul is saying, look, the fact that you exist is because of the message of the cross. The reason that the church in Corinth exists is because of the message of the cross. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's no greater demonstration then than the changed lives of truly regenerate people. You show me a person that says, I am a saved child of the living God. That does not regularly attend worship service. That does not regularly gather with God's people to sing the, the hymns that praise God. 
You show me a person whose life is not filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And I'll show you someone that does not know Christ. Because those things, he changes everything. He changes everything. But because we live in a world which is so opposed to the word of the cross, there's always going to be a demand for a different message. We see this today. Verse 22, he talks about the Jews and the Greeks. And today, the descendants of those Jews and Greeks or are, are Gentiles are still with us today. The message of the cross Found in Luke chapter 9. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But this has been replaced with God loves you just as you are. He accepts you just as you are. God just wants you to be happy. He wants to fulfill all your dreams. Come to Jesus and he'll give you the perfect marriage. Come to Jesus and he'll fill your pocket with full of money. Now that message, that message resonates with people. Why? Because it gives us what we want rather than what we need. But the message of the cross, you know, it's interesting when Jesus said those words just prior to that, he had gone, he had fed the 5,000, took up 12 basket loads of food, and everywhere he went, the people followed him everywhere. But the Bible says Jesus did not commit himself to men because he knew what was in men's hearts. And as long as he fed them, as long as he filled their bellies, as long as he made them feel good, they followed him everywhere. But the minute he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no part with him. They all left. And they said, okay, this is more than we signed up for. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow him, you must count the cost. And anytime we present the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, it must include this. Count the cost of following Jesus Christ. Because I'll tell you what the cost is. The cost was him hanging on a cross. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, so will you. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. And you think about the fact that Jesus Christ was truly God in the flesh. And he never sinned in word, thought, or deed. And they crucified him. What in the world do you think they'll do to us who are sinful people? If they'll do that to the very Son of God. But the world wants a different message, Paul says. The Jews wanted God to appear in splendor. You know, there are some out there today, some denominations that the, the, they, they think worshiping God means that there's miraculous things going on. You know what's scary about that? Is that the Bible tells us that one day there's going to come a man. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to do great signs and great wonders. He's going to perform miracles. And everybody's going to fall for it. But the, Paul says the Jews wanted God to appear in some splendor. This, this, is, this is what 
so offended the Jews of Jesus' day, especially the religious leaders. They said, you claim to be God. You claim to be our king. And you're from Galilee? Your father's a carpenter. You were born in a stable. And you call yourself a king. When he hung on the cross, the religious leaders were there and they said, you know what? If you're the son of God, come down and we'll believe you. In other words, show us your power. Step down from that cross and we'll believe you. But he didn't do it. And I'm glad he didn't do it. But this is what Paul says. The Jews always want God to do some miraculous thing. And the Greeks always wanted something new and clever. In the book of Acts, when Paul goes up on Mars Hill, and he has this conversation there with these, these Greeks, they have all these monuments set up to these gods, these idols. And they have one there that says to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you about him. That's why I'm here. And it says they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him when he said, this God right here came to this earth, took upon himself human flesh, was crucified and rose from the dead. And they laughed at him and said, that's the most ridiculous thing we ever heard in our life. And that's what Paul's talking about here. When they, they wanted something new and clever. The church is never more in danger than when its leaders are demand-led. Many churches today, we live in a consumer-driven Christianity. Just give the people what they want so they'll come. God help me if I ever get to that place. And if I ever get to that place while I'm here, I hope that you will first of all admonish me. And if I don't listen, then kick me right out that door. We are called to preach the message of the cross. We're not called to preach what people want. At first, this consumer-driven Christianity looks exciting. It looks attractive. All sorts of events and programs can draw a crowd for a time. But I'll tell you something, folks. You use worldly means to draw people into the church. You get worldly people. There's only one thing that draws people to the true church that will keep them in the true church. And that is Christ crucified and risen from the dead. But in reality... Those that look to human wisdom, what it does is to focus the church not on its ministry of proclamation of what God has done in Christ, but in the ministry of performance. People get up on the stage and they sing. They have worship teams. Now, I'm not against worship teams. But my question is, why are they there? What are you trying to do? We don't draw people to Christ. We don't draw people into His church by going out and saying, Oh, come hear our music. It is so wonderful. That's what you need. You need to come and hear our music. Oh, come hear our pastor. He's such a wonderful... I can't say this without laughing. He's such a wonderful preacher. 
Don't tell them that. Don't use me to draw people into this church. Don't use the music to draw people into this church. Use Christ. Speak of the gospel, the message of the cross of Christ. Because then it becomes based on the performance. The most important thing when a man stands behind a pulpit is not, is he a good preacher? The most important thing is, is he preaching the right message? Which is the message of the cross. Verse 23, he says, we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks or the Gentiles foolishness. The preaching of the cross is still a stumbling block to some and utter foolishness to others. Human wisdom that considers the cross to be foolish is now itself demonstrated to be total folly in that it rejects the only means of salvation. There's only one way. And if we take away the preaching of the cross, if we take away the message of the cross, if we take away the gospel or water down the gospel, lead people down the wrong path. They're going the wrong way. You know, I mentioned last week about how many today, they, they, they start, they find a church and they get involved in that church you know, there's trouble in the church. There's there's people who are disagreeing with one another and they're, they're, there's all kind of trouble. And they think, oh, well, this is not what church is supposed to be. I'm not staying here. I'm leaving. And I want to tell you something, folks. Nowhere in this book do we find any church that Paul ever wrote a letter to or John ever wrote a letter to or Peter ever wrote a letter to that were not churches full of trouble and problems. I'll never forget, though, I, I, I never forgot this when I was ordained to preach. My pastor at my ordination told me, he said, listen to me. <clears throat> when a church calls you as a pastor. Now, I didn't understand this at the time. I have very much come to understand it since. He said, if you get into a church that has no problems, get out of it. Because if, God, uh, the, if Satan is not at work in that church then neither is God. So we don't, don't think, now, now we should all get along. We should all have unity. That's what Paul talked about last week. We should love one another, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have issues. But those issues that we have should come from this. Are we preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? I had, had a former church member tell me. You need to stop preaching like you're preaching. And I said, what's wrong with what I'm preaching? He said, there's nothing wrong with what you're preaching. It's how you're preaching it. He said, you made me feel like I don't even know if I'm really saved. And I said, good. Go with that. But he went away instead. Now listen. What I'm trying to say is this. Paul, here's what Paul's saying. 
when the message of the cross of Christ is preached, when the message of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly preached, those, the majority of those in the church are going to be offended by it. Not just them outside, but them in the church. Preacher, don't tell me that I'm sinful. Preacher, don't tell me that I need to repent. Don't tell me that I need to live outside these walls like I do inside them. It's human wisdom. And it considers the cross of Christ to be foolishness. Human power, which is so ready to deride the weakness of a crucified king, is now revealed to be ineffectual in rescuing anyone from God's wrath. And I will assure you, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me, that one day there will be many, Jesus said, who will stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, and hear him say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, Lord, I was a member of such and such church for 50 years. And he's going to say, so? But Lord, I was baptized. Lord, I own a Bible. Lord, I prayed in public. And he's going to say, so? Did you take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me? Well, I thought that was a little harsh. And he says, I know you did. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Only the cross of Christ has, unlimited, has limited, uh, such limitless power. And to the unbeliever, there's a foolishness about the gospel. And this shouldn't surprise us. The gospel demonstrates that the God who rules his world does so by suffering, dying love. And the only way for me to live in a world that belongs to such a God is for me to humble myself to receive his reconciling grace, take up my cross and follow him. <coughs> On Sunday evenings, last Sunday evening, we began a, a series of studies on how to handle persecution. And one of the verses that we looked at is from 2 Timothy. When Paul told, tells the young Timothy, he said, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And when I was studying that, I had to stop and look at myself and say... Am I suffering in any kind of way for my faith in Christ? Now, I may not be having my life threatened. I might not be thrown in jail. But am I in any way suffering because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I follow Him? Does anyone hate me? Does anyone mock me? Does anyone laugh at me? You know, Jesus said... That if we would follow him and take up our cross and deny ourselves, that those of our own household will hate us. And so I looked at myself and I said, 
Does any of this happen to me? Because Paul says, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So that makes me stop and look at myself. Do I truly desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Am I willing to suffer whatever it may be? Whether it be the hatred of my family or whether it be the taking off of my head. The challenge is whether we believe our doctrine sufficiently to allow it to its truth to mold our very lifestyle. The more these Corinthians sought for human wisdom and power in the life of the church, the more they displayed their capitulation to the cultural norms of the world. We're seeing that happen today in churches all across America. Where we are giving in to the culture that is God-hating culture. You know, one of the things about Satan, <clears throat> Satan doesn't walk in the church and say, here I am and I want you to know I hate God. Satan walks into a church, and by the way, Satan never misses a service. But he doesn't walk in here and do that. He walks in here and he whispers in your ear and says, you know, well, so-and-so wasn't very nice to you this morning. What's wrong with her? Or, you really like this kind of music. I think it'd be better if we had something different. And a million other things. And he causes us to get away from the message of the gospel of dying to self. Of saying, it's not about what I like in here. It's not about what I want in here. I could ask every one of you that's a church member, I could come to you and say, tell me. What do you want to see the chapel become? But I'm not going to do that because it doesn't matter what you want it to become. It doesn't matter what I want it to become. All that matters is what does God want us to be? That's all that matters. But this is the worldliness. And when we get to chapter 3, we will see that Paul will expose this even more. But eventually it kills the life of the church because... Its values belong to the world that is in rebellion against God's right to rule. And we need not forget that to follow a crucified Lord who calls us to suffering, that's our calling. That's what Paul's telling them here in, in 1 Corinthians. He's saying we preach Christ crucified. Crucified, dead, buried, and risen from the grave. So listen, let us determine to demonstrate the power of the gospel found in a crucified, risen Lord by living a changed, sacrificial life. A life that reflects the life of our Lord. Paul's telling these Corinthians, and, and, and you know, he hasn't even begun to admonish and rebuke them for the sins going on in that church. I mean, there's open sexual sin, there's, there's, there's spiritual pride, 
There's all kinds of, they, they, even in chapter 11, we see, you know, we read this there the first Sunday of every month when Paul, it gives us, he said, about the Lord's Supper. But we don't go on and look at the context of what Paul's telling them there. He says that there, he says, examine yourself. He said there were some who were there in the church and they, when they came together to the Lord's table to participate in communion, there were some who were doing it in such a way God killed them. So this church has all kind of problems. But Paul's going to try, he's writing this letter and he's saying, look, get your, your eyes back to the main thing, which is Christ crucified. And if I'm a follower of Christ, if I take up my cross and follow Him, then I will be dead to the world, dead to myself, and alive to God in Christ. Knowing that it's not about what I think, it's not about what I want, it's not about what I desire, it's all about what God says. And that's all that matters. Let's pray. Father... <clears throat> Lord, as we come this morning thanking you for the message of the cross. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Father, I pray that every single person listening right now would take the time, take the moment to examine their own hearts. Lord, are we living a godly life in Christ? Have we taken up our cross? Have we denied ourselves to follow you? Have we died to self? Have we died to sin? Father, as a church, may we examine us. Why do we do what we do? If we do it for any other reason than for your glory, then Father, we ask you to show us. Father, may we repent. Repent and turn back to you. Begin to follow a crucified and risen Christ who alone has the power to save. May we be faithful and diligent to preach the message of the cross to a lost and dying world that they might believe. Father, you might call your own to yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.